Hi, uh, welcome to the show. How about you guys introduce yourself? Okay, uh, Jake, you want to do it? So yeah, uh, my name is Jake Gunderson, and uh, we are, Joey and I are the co-founders with an, another um, Richard Culotta, third member of Third Rail Games, and we do educational game development for mobile platforms. Okay, and um, so what inspired you to uh, to do educational games? You know, that's, that's really... Uh, you know, it's got a lot of notoriety in the industry as kind of like people want to do it, but it never, ever works. <laughs> this, this is this is very true. Okay. It's, you know, it, it's I mean, it does work. It does work, but it's just really difficult, right? Like, okay. Yeah. Well, well, educational game in a lot of ways is just another way of saying really bad game in some ways. Yeah, yeah. For, yeah. for you know, considering <laughs> what's out there. But I think... Um, it all kind of started, uh, Jake and I, this is Joey talking, Jake and I met a while ago because we were both attending the business school at IU. Okay. And we ended up um, kind of uh, kind of maintaining that friendship okay. even after we went our separate ways. And for a long time kind of felt like we wanted to do a project together and um, ended up, the three of us, kind of discovering this mutual love of learning and this love of games, but kind of this, this, uh, this distaste for the fact that learning was, you know, done so poorly, you know, think about games themselves. What are they except, except learning, you know, games that you, in a game, you learn a system, you master a skill, but you know, in so many ways it's, it's kind of decontextualized and separated and, you know, we turn learning into this thing that's not that fun. And so we discovered this mutual passion and ended up, uh, um, ended up finding a couple of opportunities to to do educational games you know, just kind of through some things that landed in our lap we uh we discovered a design boost out in san francisco that was focused on educational games that allowed us to we basically won this opportunity to go out to san francisco and sit down with uh you know with some some really influential people and do a lot of product testing and kind of build out some of these ideas we had and then we discovered Corona, picked up more momentum, and uh, we have all these ideas about educational games and a lot of things to do with them. So, you know, at this point, keep going. I don't know, Jake, do you want to add anything? Um, just that, yeah, that was about a year ago. So we've been working on this a little over a year. Um, Part-time at first, uh, for me at least. Well, for, for, for all of us, really. Um, yep. As time's gone on, we've kind of gotten more and more committed to it, spend more and more time. So I left my job about a month ago to do it full-time. Okay. Yeah. Um, how long have both of you guys been doing it full time? I know you said a month ago. What about um, Joseph? I would say probably probably the past six months. Okay. And um, you know, so so going full time, you know, that's you know that is a huge step. What uh, what inspired that change? Um, I mean, because you just released your first product, right? No, no. Okay. We, we released another uh, another game called Alphabet Zoo um, okay. in in January. Awesome. Um, and then we just released um, Factor Samurai. I don't know, like three weeks ago, two three weeks ago. Gotcha. Yeah, so, about that. Well, let's that. let's talk about Alphabet Zoo. What's what's that about? <laughs> Alphabet Zoo uh, um, is interesting. The way Alphabet Zoo came about was uh, Jake and I and Richard were all kind of in the middle of. Uh, these different projects that we had ideas for and discovered ourselves 
becoming the victims of scope creep to to a huge huge degree and we had this phone conversation one night where we said this is turning into something that is getting really really difficult let's just forget all of that and down and just get an app onto the app store doesn't matter how small or how simple let's just get something up there and so we completely forgot about what we were working on and sat down and said okay what's something small and educational well how about abcs you know I've got uh, I've got a few young kids of my own, and so you know that that was close to home, easy to test, and so we decided to make this app where basically all you do is scroll through the letters of the alphabet, and when you touch an al- uh, when you touch a letter, it makes the letter sound, and then if you keep touching it, eventually it pops up an animal that starts with that letter, and then if you touch it again, it makes that animal sound, and that's it. I mean that's that's Alphabet Zoo. It was very simple. But for us, it was kind of this watershed moment because we released it, threw it up on the App Store, not really expecting much to happen. And by the second or third day, it was the top edu- educational <laughs> app in several countries. <laughs> and, yeah. and we there's this hilarious chain of emails going back back and forth between all of us. What in the world is going on? Is this even for yeah. real? And. No, Joey sent me a screenshot on the iPad where it, he had pulled up the app store in the education category and it was number two. And I thought he had doctored the photo. <laughs> there was no way that could happen. Um, and at that point, did you guys, were you guys giving away the game for free or, or was it a paid version? At that point it yeah, was free. It was free. Yeah. Okay. So yep. it gets, it gets to the, you know, to the top of the charts. What were you thinking at that point? <laughs> we were thinking, I'm sure glad we did Alphabet Zoo instead of working on this other project for six months. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but so, I mean, it, it, was a, it, was an ex- it was a huge conf- confidence builder, though. I mean, yeah. to me, that was, the, that was the huge lesson of Alphabet Zoo was you can, you know, you can do this. It's not extraordinarily difficult. Yeah. And you can sit down, just put, an, put a simple idea in an app and get it out there and build from there. And sure, there are some things about it that are very unpolished and kind of rough. I mean, uh, you know, Jake wrote the code in Cocos 2D. I did all of the drawings myself. I made all of the animal noises. Awesome. <laughs> and so it's, it has this very rough around the edges, kind of unpolished look. But you know, and so and so that's why we didn't expect it to do that well. But watching it watching it do well has has made kind of this this lasting lesson for us that you start simple and just get some simple implementation of an idea out there and you can kind of build from there. And, you know, eventually you get to where you're a big studio and you can come out with this fully featured, full-fledged release, but we'll to start without, without doing that. And we, I don't think we would have expected that at all before doing it. And at that point, were you thinking of ways to monetize it or what, what were your thoughts at that point? Yeah. Yeah, we were. So we didn't want to do ads because it was for little kids that, that yeah. you know, are just learning the alphabet. We didn't want to do ads. That seemed distasteful and, and probably not very effective. And so um, our first thought was an in-app purchase. And so we did build an extension to it after our first release that was like an assessment. So basically a test to see how well kids had learned. Um, yeah. And so that's, that's part of Alphabet Zoo. It's like a 99-cent in-app purchase download. Um, but it did not do it, it has not done great um, for the for the number of downloads free downloads we've gotten the conversion on that particular thing is not very good okay 
Um, and and so then, what were you thinking once you re- once you recognized that it might be hard to make money doing this? I mean, what what uh, what was your strategy? And then also, you mentioned that you recently released another game, but your first game it took about two or three weeks to do that, right? Yeah, I think we, it was probably about a month. First game, was, okay. Yeah, yeah. As so, far as the in-app purchase goes, well, yeah, it, was, it was probably a month later. So that we did the wasn't. What did you then think of the strategy of just quickly releasing, you know, random educational games and just seeing what sticks and then build off of that? Or um, why do you, why why did you spend a lot more time on the second game? Well, there, there was definitely a conversation to to that effect of you know what let's just let's just build a lot of things and see what sticks. And we've we've been able to be um, you know not entirely faithful to that, but somewhat faithful to that. Okay. And I think and, in the back and, of both of our heads, we're, all, we're constantly thinking, <laughs> go ahead, Jake. And Factor Samurai probably, I mean, we didn't start working on Factor Samurai right after we finished Alphabet Zoo. There was a few other uh, small projects in between, uh, some of which we released, some of which we didn't. Okay. So, mm-hmm. And once we, once we discovered Corona, we took a little time to kind of learn how it, to, to use it. So, Yeah, how did you guys uh, discover Corona? Because usually when people are committed to one thing like Coco's 2D, it's... They're really skeptical to move on to something else. Jake, you found it, didn't you? I'd heard of it. Um, I think kind of what happened was I, it was taking me long enough to get anything done. Because at the time, I was the sole coder. Yeah. So I was working in Coco's 2D, and I was the only coder. And so it was, everything was just taking a long time to get done. Uh, it was, we, we weren't satisfied with how quickly we could you know, push out new content, new things. And so we kind of discovered Corona, and then I think Joey was the one that got motivated and learned it first. I mean, yeah. um, you definitely put more time into it um, than I have. Yeah. Well, Jake sent Jake's, uh, Richard and I an email saying, hey, have you guys seen Corona? Check it out. It, it looks like you know, this might be a faster, easier way to develop. And I went onto the website, looked around. Um, I still remember the first thing I read on there was that post by Jonathan Beebe where he writes about – how he picked up that Objective C book and then found about Corona, and he never picked up the Objective C <laughs> book again. I thought this thing is for me, and so with with no prior experience in code, um, I downloaded Corona, sat down and thought, okay, I've got this list of thirty different little you know chicken McNugget sized educational games. Let's see if I can build one of them. And by the end of the day, I built one. Okay. <laughs> and so I thought, okay, this this is this is something I can stick with. And, and, you know, since that point, I've gotten quite a bit cr- better at Corona. And now I think you could consider both of us kind of the, the technical end of what happens with our games. And, um, well, you know, you mentioned there were some other projects between, um, Alphabet Zoo and Factor Samurai. What were they? So we have a, we've got a, a small app called uh, WordPile. I, I'm not sure if you're familiar with the tool online called Wordle. No, you put, you put text into it. It's it's a text visualization tool. Okay. Um, so we basically grabbed a bunch of classic literature and ran it through this text visualization tool and took the static <clears throat> images and created this app called Wordle. And basically, you look at these text visualizations, try and guess what book they represent. Oh, okay. So. Um, and you know, and then a, and then a lot okay. of other small unreleased things in between. I should add. Okay. And what what makes you decide to release something versus just not release it? Good yeah. question. That is a good question. It <laughs> has to do with how developed it is and whether or not we're willing. 
Because, you know, you have an idea, you throw together a prototype, and then you kind of play with it. And, it, and it's a lot of times you're like, this isn't fun, this is not interesting, and you just kind of move on. Okay. Yeah. And, yeah. Um, you know, okay, so, so you recognized that the in-app purchase thing wasn't necessarily going to make money. What were you thinking at that or at point? Least, or at least with that implementation of it. Yeah. I think, well, yeah, I mean. Because, you know, there's this conception that, oh, people want educational games, but you can't make money doing it. Were you then skeptical and and kind of buying into that? Or were you guys thinking something different about things you could change to actually make it work? I I think that the problem with the in-app purchase was not the fact that it was an in-app purchase. I I think it was mostly just the fact that it was our first implementation of one. And, you know, starting from scratch, uh, really having never done any of this before, either in a separate studio or on our we just thought, okay, well, we need to learn how to do in-app purchases. So let's try this and see how it goes. But, you know, I, I think the reason that the in-app purchase uh, in our first product didn't work that well is simply because it wasn't that compelling. You know, there's just, um, I mean, to to create what we did and, and put it into in-app purchase just wasn't interesting enough for people that they would want to buy it. And I think, I think that just means that we just needed to get better at it and need, needed to, you know, kind of figure out how to effectively do an in-app purchase, you know, how to actually offer content that people want in the game. Um, yeah. So then did you guys start experimenting with that or finding ways that that could work? Well, we've got something going right now, um, actually as an add-on for Alphabet Zoo. The, um, what we are going to try next is to create new content packs. Okay for the original game. Right now you can go through and it's just animals. And so we've just uh, created a second content pack that is cars and they all have new graphics, they have new sounds. And so basically it's a way of just experiencing kind of the, the that same, you know, touch a letter to hear the sound it makes, to hear, see an object that starts with that letter. It's kind of that same thing, but just with different objects. And that's mostly built on the fact that most of our feedback about Alphabet Zoo has been that uh, people like touching the letter and seeing something cool pop up. And so, well, you know, if that's what people find most compelling about the app, then, you know, maybe that's what we should build on more. Um, so that's kind of the idea behind it. But yeah, I mean, yeah. It, you're, you're absolutely right in that it just takes a lot of experimentation. We need to, we need to do a lot of small experiments instead of a small amount yeah. of huge experiments. Now, um, along this time, there have been other now companies that are doing their own educational games for um, iPhone, iPad, and eventually android but what were you thinking about you know the competition or did you you guys even care about that (laughs) we we joke that if we've seen how many alphabet apps were available on the app store before before we did alphabet zoo we wouldn't have built it oh yeah good point (laughs) (laughs) because if you type in alphabet (laughs) there there are tons of them and every variation you know abc (laughs) abc plus abc one and uh but, but so, I mean, I think in some ways that's kind of the remarkable thing about it all is that you can be in a very competitive space and if you can figure out how to still, you know, get something that's compelling, you can still rise to the top still. of that space. And, you know, we've, we've done that in, you know, to, with varying degrees of success, but I think the formula still holds true. And how did you guys, did you guys, you know, because usually when you get to the top, there's kind of this um, fall off after a while. Was there a way that you guys were able to prevent that or change it so that it was more gradual? Uh, there was, I mean, there was fall off that we, we experienced that it was, it was, 
I don't know what. It probably probably had eighty uh, percent of our downloads in the first month. Okay. And it's yep. the the other twenty percent over the last six, seven, eight months. So. Yeah. Um, and do you feel that the iPhone space, the educational game space, has become more competitive in the in that time? I think so. I think so. Like we definitely, uh, with with Factor Samurai that we just released three weeks ago. I mean, it, in our opinion, it's a better product than Alphabet Zoo. Yeah. Um, or at least we hope it is, because we spent the last you know six months honing our skills. But um, but um, it it's had some success. But Alphabet Zoo was was more successful. So. Yeah, and are you guys then thinking about Android as a potential platform? Yeah, yeah, we, we are. We are. I have I have a Nexus S phone that I've had for about a month, and we just need I just need to take the time, you know, to kind of figure out how to get some. There, there's a few bugs in our in our app that it works fine on the iPhone, but it doesn't work great on my Nexus, and so I just need to take the time to kind of figure that out, and then we will. Be releasing some some cross-platform stuff. Um, okay, so let's uh, well then let's jump into what inspired the uh, I guess the decision to go full time. So you mentioned that Alphabet Zoo didn't necessarily work out uh, in terms of monetization. I mean, you had success uh, in terms of people using it, mm -hmm. but in terms of monetization, it wasn't as successful. So what? How, how do you come to the decision then to quit your job and go at it full time? Which is awesome. I mean, a lot of people are actually, you know, that's, I know there are a lot of listeners out there who, you know, who hope to do that one time, but they are always skeptical because they need to make sure that they're making a ton of money. And in your, in your case, um, I think you mentioned kids and, you know, family and stuff like that. How do you, you know, how do you handle that risk? So, so for me, since I've just recently made that decision, it's, it's kind of funny. My wife had twins not too long ago. Yeah, and uh, so we were both working, and the that came down to one of us needs to stay home and take care of the kids, and I said I was kind of like, if you like your job, which she likes her job, and I what didn't care for my job. I was like, if you like your job, you know, give me a year to to make a go at this indie game thing, and if at the end of the year I can't, you know, make the, make the living to support us. I'll go back to the corporate world. Um, and she was okay with that. She, she had some other reasons to want to stay at her job for a little while. So, you know, I mean, I'm not completely stepping out into the dark. We still have yeah. one income. And you, and the good thing is, is that you have kids there that you can test it on, which I think helps. Well, I mean, I mean, I know they're pretty young, but, um, yeah. well, for, yeah, yeah, for, for his kids, they just, they just kind of hit it with their fists. They're only a they, few months old, but they want to put <laughs> I've got a couple mouth. of toddlers. Though. I mean, I, I hear about stories of like, they're like, Oh, my one-year-old or my two-year-old is like playing this game and enjoying it. <laughs> I'm like totally surprised that a two-year-old can, you know, one or two-year-old can get into this, but I'm, oh, you I mean, I read it. these reviews like, Oh, it's so, true. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> it's true. I've, I've got, uh, I've got four kids from six down to um, four months. Yeah. Uh, so my my three year old, I guess he would have been you know a little older than when Alphabet Zoo first came out, and it was about the only game he played. Oh, wow. and now he is, and now he's spelling words. Awesome. <laughs> you know, so so um, I, I don't know if I can attribute the entire thing directly and completely to Alphabet Zoo, but I mean, you know, a kid touching a letter and hearing a sound over and over again for months and months. I mean, that's that that's, that awesome. builds over time. Yeah. Um. 
And so, um, and and you're also you're also full time now too, right? Yeah. Okay. So the way it works for me is that um, I'm also just like Jacob, but I am fortunate in that I'm, I'm married to a woman who has uh, who has professional skills and is able to um, able and willing to use those while I kind of uh, figure this out. And so what what that means for us is that uh, my wife owns a real estate business. And um, she was able to um, sell a few houses over the summer and has continued to sell some more over the fall. And then in addition to that, uh, I used to, in, in a previous life, I owned a construction business. And so occasionally I get, uh, I get residual phone calls from that asking me to pick up the odd side job. And so the way it ends up kind of working out is that I spend most of my time coding and designing games. And then in between, basically when we, when we need income, uh, I, my wife sells a house and I, I pick up a construction job and, uh, it's, it, it, it's kind of an odd way to go about, hey. but it allows me to actually sit here and do this. Instead of, I mean, you know, halfway through my MBA, I was expecting to go move to a big city and, you know, take a six figure job for a fortune 500 company. That's what yeah. you do after you get an MBA. Yeah. Um, and we, and, and how's the, you know, how are your wives? responding to this to this endeavor i mean is this something that's making the family closer or is it something that's creating tension or you know what what are the issues because i know there are a lot of i mean honestly there are a lot of listeners who are in a situation you know they are in a situation and i always hear this like oh yeah but my wife or my girlfriend or this or that or whatever i mean is it i don't know do you have any suggestions or is it honestly an experience that can bring you folks together or is it just crazy you know like i'd have to say it will will kind of depend on how the outcome i mean honestly if if it works out will have been a good thing if it if it was just a year like kind of you know spent in vain it 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 will have (laughs) well there will need to be some like (laughs) sensory you know i'll have to make up for it well, are your wives um, more entrepreneurial or are they used to having jobs, you know, consistent, you know, traditional jobs and stuff like that? I, uh, I know that my wife's father, for his entire life, has been able to leave for work in the morning, get home by five, have dinner with the family. Uh, the family has full insurance and benefits and paid vacation. <laughs> okay. And so in that sense, uh, this is... Uh, this is not what she expected uh, okay, she was wow. getting into when we got married. But the side of that, though, is that she's extremely supportive of it. She 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 has told me, hey, I, I'm with you 100%. I believe that this can work. I've seen the successes that you've had, and those are... You know, th- those are enough data points to, to, to give some hope that you guys can figure this out enough to, to, to really build a full-time living on it. And so, but that, but I would say, uh, I think, Jake, I could probably speak for both of us and for both of our wives that it is a bigger stretch for them than it is for us. Okay, you know, I, wow. I, I, without, without my wife to remind me, I think I, I probably would be content to, yeah, to, to, to take way more risk um, than our uh, comfort. And then, and then, was there were there any issues with the insurance and all that other stuff, or is that, um, I don't because because I always hear that from some people like I can't do it because of insurance. I don't know if these are excuses or not. You know, obviously, um, you know, I I because I, I get to interview. <laughs> okay, yeah. So, 
So insurance wasn't a wasn't a big issue or anything like that. Not for me. My wife. Oh, has I, I would say. Yeah. Okay. Well, I'll I'll just put it this way: we're we have income, but we're pinching pennies. Okay. And um, you know what? Uh, so so oh, now how? Okay. All right. Well, that's awesome. You've got a supportive family. You know, there's some challenges, but what are you guys going to do then to to make this, you know, a sustainable income? I mean, because it is a very competitive space. You look at the games that are succeeding; they're all MMOs. You know, you're talking about games that are single player games uh, that are going to be educational versus what people are doing. Like one of the more, um, you know, noteworthy, I guess, pseudo educational games is a game called Toontastic that I've seen. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I think they're using in-app purchases, but they have this kind of system, like this in-app uh, purchase or billing system, where they're selling items in this kind of pseudo MMO, you know. And not really. Okay, yeah. But the point is, yeah. What are you guys going to do to be able to make a sustainable income and keep this going? I do think that um, as we move forward, our games will become more community and social, socially oriented. I think. Our, our development skills are, were kind of when they were when we were just getting started. It was too much to kind of bite off to try and start with an MMO or something that that had a, a large sense of community. But I think the as time goes on, you know, those projects are kind of becoming more and more realistic in terms of what we're capable of doing. And so there's definitely we're definitely looking at doing more and more kind of social putting social elements into our games. I think like in the immediate future working on, you know, just integrating Game Center and, and um, kind of sharing achievement-based systems and things like that. Um, so. And, um, oh, go ahead. go ahead. Did you have something to add to that, Joey? Did uh, we lose no, Joe? No. <laughs> okay. I'm and, here. Yeah. Um, so what, um, you know, can you talk about the games that are coming out soon or anything else? What's in the pipeline? You mentioned that... Um, your second game or, um, you know, yeah. Can you talk about fact it's factor samurai, right? Yeah. Yeah. Do you can want to talk about that, Joe? Yeah. Sure. So let's see. So factor samurai itself, I mean, essentially it's a fruit ninja style mechanic where instead of fruit getting thrown up, you have numbers getting thrown up and you leave the prime numbers alone and you swipe the composites, and when you swipe them, they break into their respective part. So that's that's kind of the basics of the game. Yeah. But then, in terms of what we actually want to do with it, you know, a lot of the feedback that we got with the kind of original version of the game that's published right now is that what we really nailed was getting the game to feel good. You know, getting it. You know, just the basic interaction of swiping a number and having the factors pop out when you swipe it. We haven't focused on yet with Factor Samurai are some of the more formulaic elements of just kind of building in a series of objectives and achievements and yeah. a little bit more of an explicit sense of progression. You know, that's something that that's something that Factor Samurai has a lot of potential for, but we purposefully released it before building all of that out. We wanted to get this this version out. And so I think our next goal with Factor Samurai is to go back in and to implement a lot of these formulaic uh, elements, which um, I would suppose would uh, increase engagement quite a bit with the game and to give people a lot of reasons to come back to it. Now, that seems like it's for a different age group than the um, Alphabet Zoo. What's What inspired that? Uh, are you going to... Because I, I wasn't sure if you're, if you're going to specifically target toddlers at first or... Are you going to just, you know, 
put out various apps for various different age groups and see what sticks. Yeah, we're not necessarily um, like trying to. We weren't necessarily trying to just target like preliterate. We kind of like to kind of run the gamut from from you know K through twelve um, basic curriculum. And we've looked a lot at the. There's a there's a set of um, I don't know if they're federal government standards called Common Core. They're mm-hmm. kind of they kind of lay out the curriculum for public yeah. education. That's kind of our like set of things that we'd like to well, incorporate is, into our games. Is that kind of dangerous to do because um, you know people just want to have fun? Like, uh, what are your what are your thoughts on that? Um, do you feel that Common Core is going to expand your audience, or is it just going to get in the way of people just enjoying your games for the sake of enjoying your games? Well, it's a tough needle to thread because on one hand, yeah, ideally, you know, what you want is a game that's so successful in its own right that people play it because they want to play it. And the fact that it happens to be educational is just kind of icing on the cake. Um, The kind of the other, the other data point that is a meeting that I had about a week ago with uh, a couple of directors of technology for an elementary school system. Mm-hmm. where they just got approved to bring 700 iPads into select schools. And suddenly they are faced with this question of, okay, we've got these iPads. What the heck do we do with them? Yeah. And they've been um, – <laughs> suddenly what they were thinking about in the theoretical sense, now they have to think about in the real sense. And they don't have time to do that. And so there, there is, I think – an enormous and ever-expanding audience of actual educators. Of, I could just say an expanding number of devices in schools, where those devices need to be, you know, need to be populated with with apps that are actually teaching the kids. And so, you know, how to actually um, how, how to actually get our apps onto those devices? You know, we have a few ideas for for how to do that. You know, some people choose to um, to to kind of build themselves into the school system to try to you know win contracts. Yeah. Well, is is your um so is your strategy then going to be to target schools rather than um just parents? No, not necessarily. I mean, we'd like to be able to fit into this curriculum of the schools. I mean, we'd like to be able to say, you know, this app targets this part of your, you know, public education curriculum, but I mean the 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 obviously the parents are probably the bigger consumer target. Yeah. And so that's that's really who we who we are trying to appeal to. And you know, you guys are parents. I mean, I, mean, I suppose both as much as we can, but you know, sorry, go ahead. Well, you guys are parents, so what what are you um, looking for when you're looking for apps for your for your kids? My kids are a little young still, so why don't you? We roll our own. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I just build my own. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> no, what do we? What do we? What do I have for my kids? I, I'm not going to lie. Uh, I've, I've got probably ten or fifteen apps that haven't seen the light of day as far as the app store is concerned. Yeah. That uh, that that my kids that my kids play around with, but no, I mean a lot of a lot of what we a lot of what my wife and I put on for our kids are just things that I hear about. You know, I follow a few educational blogs. Um, I tend to kind of monitor what's what's popular and what's hot. Um, and, you know, if there are other developers we know, we tend to kind of watch what they're doing and download. You know, like so, uh, Toontastic, for example. We we met the, we met those guys out in San Francisco, and so obviously, you know, we follow what they're doing. We've um, there are a few. There's another uh, another great suite of apps called Motion Math. Um, we met them also out in San Francisco, and you know, they're doing you know some some similar things. So we just 
yeah, yeah. kind of watch the people that we know. Are you um, so? Are you guys focused then on just giving your kids educational apps, or are you also letting them play some of these more popular games on the charts, like Tap Zoo and you know these other types of MMOs aimed at kids, like some Tap Fish and stuff like that? Oh, I I let my kids play all sorts of stuff. Okay. <laughs> they play they they. they birds just as much as they play alphabet zoo probably yeah so we, and, we yeah love, no we love games and so you know it's, it doesn't have to be educational to be you know something we're interested in so are you guys then looking to develop kind of non-educational games not where education is maybe a secondary or tertiary focus rather than the primary focus yeah definitely definitely yeah. um one of the one of the nice things about being in the education sector is that you're on the education chart. And so in order to get kind of ranked way easier than on just the generic games chart. Okay. Another thing about that, let me just add to that is that, you know, when you think about the actual kind of the cycle that we go through when we decide to create a game and it can kind of start from either end, right? I mean, you could, you could just walk down the common core standards and pick out a standard and think of maybe three or four different games that could be built off of that standard. And so that's kind of one approach, but another is just to kind of experiment. And a few of the things that we've built have, have really just kind of come from experimentation where, you know, I would sit down and think, okay, I've kind of, I've learned display objects in Corona. Okay. Well, let's see if I can get a bug that crawls around. And suddenly, you know, kind of a game has kind of sprung out of that. And so because of that, I think, you know, a lot of the time a, a, game, a game kind of springs up in its own right. And there may or may not be a way to kind of turn that into something that's educational. But to limit ourselves on either front, um, no, we, we definitely wouldn't want to do that at this point. Okay. And um, where do you see then the educational market going for these um, tablet and uh, mobile devices? <laughs> Getting bigger and bigger. Yeah. Um, well, do you feel that um, the iPhone App Store or the yeah iTunes App Store, is that getting saturated now? I mean, is, do you feel that it's just getting so competitive and there's just so much stuff coming out that it, it's becoming more challenging? Or what are your thoughts? I don't, I don't feel like it's saturated too, too badly yet. I, I still think um, if you have an idea that's somewhat novel and you put a little marketing behind it, um, and, you know, it's, it's a polished, solid app. I still think you can get attention. Um, it, it is getting more difficult, but I don't think it's, it's – I mean, I, I do feel that way about just the generic games category. Very, very difficult to get attention yeah. there just because there's so many games. In the education, it's, it's still doable. And you mentioned marketing. Uh, what are you guys doing to, you know, stand out and to market your apps? Because there's Toontastic, which seems to be getting – um, a lot of um, recognition, you know, from various places. And then there's this other startup called Airy Labs, which is also trying to do educational games or social educational games and stuff like that. Um, how are you guys standing up? You know, it's we're still figuring that out, but some of the things we have done, Corona has, um, you know, some some resources that help with that. Um, we've got, we put a YouTube video up uh, a few days ago, and it's gotten about, I don't know, like 60 hits a day. And I mean, that's with no, just tweeting it out and doing a few things. Um, we have our website, which we try and use. I mean, we're not, we're certainly, we haven't got the whole marketing strategy pinned down yet. Um, yeah. But those are some of the things we're doing. I, obviously, submitting to the um, the review sites, 
but you know the biggest review sites it's you don't there's no guarantee you'll get reviewed and touch arcade right yeah so so you go ahead and do that um and we've got reviews in some of the smaller sites and that and that helps but um i don't know i think i think just kind of being creative i think it's important to engage with the community <laughs> um the more the more kind of more kind of friends you have that are kind of indie developers the easier it is to get the word out about a new product so we do we do a lot of that um you know jumpstart and reader rabbit were big hits on the pc are you guys looking into doing something like that for the iphone and ipad no we haven't yeah we haven't looked at that it's it's an interesting idea um okay and um yeah can you talk more then about the upcoming games that you guys are going to do? I, I know we kind of briefly touched on that before, but I don't know if there's anything else you want to announce. Well, there's a couple of other things that we kind of have on the docket. I mean, there's there's kind of this this running pile of game ideas that we keep in a little Google Doc that uh, we're kind of kind of combing through and deciding what to develop next. But uh, a couple of them, one of them is an app that's called Choosy Tales. And the way Choosy Tales works is you basically can go through and read a standard fairy tale, kind of as an ebook, where you go through and it reads to you. And, you know, you just kind of move through the screens and, you know, read, you know, say Little Red Riding, for example, kind of the same way that you would a standard book, where it just kind of showed the words and read you the words. But then what you can do is go back through and actually change out all the characters. And so instead of having Little Red Riding Hood, you know, taking bread to her grandma, she's taking, you know, a basket of slime to an octopus or whatever. And and basically by allowing you to change up the story, you go through and, you know, kind of read it and it reads the different, you know, it reads the story with all these new characters plugged in. And um, so that, that's kind of the idea behind Choosy Tales. Um, I think it works well just from an engagement standpoint because it's fun for kids to be able to kind of exert their influence on a story and, you know, kind of change it around into something that's a little bit more silly. Yeah. But then it's also, I think, good for us because it's a, it, I think it can be a pretty good, a good way to throw in purchasable content. Okay. You know, if you give away the app with a single tail and then add a second tail, which you just simply, you know, purchase for 99 cents, and then you have that tail available as well. You know, it, it gives you, the structure kind of naturally lends itself to building out purchasable content. So that's uh, that's one of the things that's kind of coming down the pipe. Let's see, Jake, I don't know, what else? I I really want to make a game that uses the IK. I don't know if that's a good in terms of market, I don't know what the market penetration of the iCade is, but I love that thing. What what is it? The i the iCade. It's basically you put your iPad in it, and it's this tiny arcade machine. Oh, okay. like stand up arcades, like the retro thing. Okay. And it is this fun. Like I don't know if you've played Super Mega Worm or Most Speed Run. No. There's a couple of great games that that support the iCade, and they're just they're really fun with the actual physical you know joystick and buttons and stuff. Okay. And um. You know, I think you mentioned that you visit or you talk to some of these people or these other companies in San Francisco and other places. How are you staying within the educational developer community, you know, keeping up and just talking to other um, people who are doing a similar thing so that you guys can build off each other, get feedback and stuff like that? Well, one of the 
one of the huge things is is Richard, who's not on this who's not on this interview right now, but um, he he's kind of the instructional designer of the group, and he is he's extremely extremely well in education and well connected. He's he has a lot of a lot of very high connections in the Department of Education. Right now, he's doing an intern for a Washington senator specifically related to educational technology. <laughs> So kind of what ends up happening is that nothing can happen in the world of <laughs> education and instructional technology without it kind of filtering its way to us uh, through him. And so that's and, how it works. But, you know, a lot of it is just kind of following the right people on Twitter, too. We, yeah. we get a lot of information just kind of just kind of landing on our Twitter pages every day because of that. And do you guys feel that the, um, you know, these public schools are going to be shifting towards iPad and tablet devices then? which may open up more opportunities for student or for developers? Well, there's certainly a sentiment that they want to be shifting that way. Okay. And, um, and I mean, you know, it's, it's, it's so early that, you know, like I said before, you, you kind of have this, this scenario of people wanting iPads and being able to kind of imagine what to do with them. And uh, then they get the iPads and some schools have the whole big plan as to, you know, how exactly they're going to use those to help their students succeed. But that, for a lot of the school systems, they're just, you know, suddenly, suddenly the funding came in. They can do it, and so now, uh, and so now they're kind of saying, okay, well, where do we look? What do we, what do we do? But I don't know. I, 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 schools want to be doing more of that. And what would you say are the top three lessons you guys have learned um, through this whole journey and experience, or suggestions you may have for other developers looking to do something similar? You know, this has been said, I think, over and over, but, like, work on something that's within the scope of what you're capable of producing. Um, there's nothing more discouraging than kind of working at month after month after month on something and just having this huge mountain to climb. Um, you really do need to pick – I mean, you need to pick something that is big enough that you get excited about it, definitely, but you also need to pick something that, you know, you can actually accomplish, something that you can put up on the store or at least something you can finish and play with because – it's it's an incredible boost to your. Um, I mean, it really is motivating when you finally have a game you can play with. Um, so that's one thing I'd say. Okay. Yeah. Uh, what I would say is build. You get better experience from uh, experimenting with a lot of small things than from. Experimenting with with one big thing, and we are constantly reminding ourselves to to get back to that of, yeah. Yeah. Uh, of just building. I mean, so you know, take this Alphabet Zoo app that we started with, and none of that would have happened if we hadn't decided to just create something extremely simple. And you know, in in reality, you can uh, you know we we could go sit down and you know build a lot of small games and kind of take what is successful and build it out more, and then take yeah. what's successful out of that and build it out more. And you know, to, we've done that with varying degrees of success. But I think Jake and I we we both agree that uh, our ability to do that and to to get a lot of you know just a lot of experimentation out there is is going to be crucial to succeeding. Yeah, and how are you guys going to do that? Um, what what guy what are you guys going to change to make that happen so that you can pump out an app every week or something? Well, one of the things that helps us a lot is when these game jams come up, and so okay. uh, you know we participated in this in the in the indie game pod, uh, game jam you know a few months ago, and that was okay. actually what got us our Corona license. Okay. Um, but then we also we also did the Corona um, the Corona hackathon a couple of weeks ago, which also was just was very revelatory for us, where we sat down and just had to crank this one thing out in a single day. 
And so for us, what, what we need to be able to do is, is to say, okay, we're going to take a week. And by the end of this week, you know, we're going we're, we're gonna to have a single app done. We're going to release that app. And it may not be perfect, but we're going, to, we're going to have that as a goal. And then the following week, we'll do it again. And I think it's just disciplining ourselves to make things small. Instead of being, uh, instead of allowing them to creep into huge things, and then you know where it's needed and where it makes sense, you know, turns into bigger things. Okay. I don't know, Jake. Do you agree with that? <laughs> oh yeah, yeah, definitely. The other thing, the other thing I'd say about about kind of doing this is find find other people that are kind of passionate about it, and and make friends that want to do what you're doing. Either, I mean, partners are good. It's really hard to do it be a solo. Um, developer it's you know there are local groups um that get together and write code there are obviously lots of opportunities online but integrate yourself into like a, the social fabric of other people working on both the technology that you're working in and on kind of games um because it's it's gets a lot easier when there's other people and you're all kind of helping each other out and the any game dev community is really really supportive um, there's not this sense of like, if I have a great idea that I'm taking it away from somebody else, it's very much like a kind of a, there's a camaraderie. So, and where can listeners then check out your games, find out more information about your games? So thirdrailgames.com is our, is our company website. And that's, um, is it just T H I R D? Yes. Okay. Yes. Um, and we have links there to our Twitters and and um, obviously the individual apps that we've published. Great, and and on the App Store, the specific apps. My that you Twitter have. is. Oh, go ahead. Yeah. Uh, well, yeah. Uh, on the App Store, what are the specific apps? Just to remind so, them. I know we talked about them, but so one's called Factor Samurai. Yeah. Uh, Alphabet Zoo. Um, the the Wordle apps called Word Pile. Um, there's we have another one called Count Bugs. That we didn't talk about, but that was a small project. Yep. Okay. Great. Um, thanks again for your time. Appreciate it. Yeah. Thanks for the interview. Yep. Thank you. Take care.